Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I'm Tara, and while I am without my co-host, Kendall, today, I've pulled in a few people to help me out with this episode. The topic today is, what is the deal with Mellow? As someone who's focused primarily on the Portland Trailblazers for the past 20 or so years, and only really started looking around the rest of the league in the last, let's say, four or five years, I think I missed a good chunk of Mello's career. I mean, I saw him when he came in, when he was with the Nuggets four times a year. I saw him a couple of times a year when the the Trailblazers would play the Knicks, but I never really got it. And last summer, there was some talk around Portland and among Portland fans that the Blazers should try and pick up Mello and they should try to take him on for the last year of his contract, trade trade away some of our assets, and in return, get a known shooter who can shoot the lights out and who can complement Damon CJ. Well, obviously that did not happen, but it did always, it always made me wonder why does everybody, why would everybody give up some known assets in Portland for someone like Mello, who it seemed like for the last several years had not had a really very easy ride with the Knicks and had somewhat, you know, I don't want to say become a problem, but seemed to be sometimes causing consternation amongst the team, you know, asking his way, you know, basically asking for a trade, things like that. And I was just thinking, I'm not sure that I understand why somebody would want to have Mello on the team when we have things going so well here in Portland right now. So anyway, that's always been on my mind. And with Mello's recent move again this summer over to Houston, I really, really wanted to get to the bottom and understand more about who this player was. Because let's face it, he is going to go to the Hall of Fame. And I should really spend a little time trying to appreciate someone who did have an impact on basketball, whether or not I was paying attention at the time that he was doing it. So in order to get to get to the bottom of who Mello is, I called in some friends who could talk to me about what Mello meant to the team, to the teams that they are fans of or that they write about. I think overall, I got a much better understanding of what he meant to the teams that he played for, especially the Nuggets. He fell to them in the famous 2003 draft, which, of course, featured uh, Cleveland picking up LeBron James with the number one pick. And then Detroit, like, surprisingly chose Darko Milicic. And so with the number three pick, the Dallas or the Denver Nuggets landed mellow. It was kind of sounds like it was kind of a surprise to them. And he, of course, had a really big impact on uh, on the Nuggets at the time. After his time with the Nuggets started winding down, he was traded to New York. He was never really able to get them over the hump. He asked to be moved on. That's when he went to OKC for a year. We know how that turned out. He's now going to be suiting up with the Houston Rockets. So I had some really interesting conversations with people who had some very strong feelings about how Mello was and what he meant to the different franchises that he has spent time on. So I hope you enjoy learning what the deal is with Mello as much as I did. 
I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you do and you want to subscribe to it, you can find it in the Blazers Edge podcast feed. So sign up with at Blazers Edge, you know, go to Apple Podcasts or whatever and follow the Blazers Edge podcast. And every two weeks you will get an episode of the What Podcast. You can also follow the What Podcast on Twitter at Hoops and Talks, and we will post the episodes as soon as they are done. So you can get a notification that way as well. First up is Sue Paquette, who has been a fan of the Denver Nuggets since 1972. She is an avid sports fan, has played basketball, baseball, softball, coached football, and wrestling. And shortly before she retired from her job in the tech industry, she actually went back to school to get a master's degree in sports psychology. I'm really looking forward to hearing about Denver's or er, er, uh, Mello's early years in Denver. Sue, welcome to Women's Hoop and talks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Well, so Mello was drafted a really long time ago. It is amazing how long he has been in the league. And so how much do you remember about the time leading up to that 2003 draft? Oh, uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, as you said, I've been a Nuggets fan since the 70s. I mean, I remember David Thompson, you know, the Larry Brown and Doug Moe years with the with the Nuggets. And uh, and then all the, the bad years, setting record after record for uh, losing streaks and number of losses. I mean, uh, the team, it was just, it was very difficult to even go to the games and watch the games. There was very little to get excited about until they got bad enough that we got the number three pick in that, in that draft. So, yeah, I do remember all that. I remember the excitement and, and uh, discussions, although um, it's significantly different than, than today's world where we didn't have all the social media and, and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook where you could see everybody's opinions and comments. So, you know, you know what's going on based on, you know, the sports writers and their comments and, you know, personal friends or people you, you, you know, see at, at games and stuff. So it's not like it, like it is today as far as the generating the excitement. But, yeah, there was a lot of excitement about Mello. And, and quite honestly, the, the general belief was that we were it would we probably weren't going to get him because uh, we were picking third and. Uh, uh, was that Detroit was in front of us and uh, bigger shocker on draft night when they took Darko Milicic or whatever his name was and we got mellow. So yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> right. That big, that was a big deal draft. So the number one pick was LeBron James. And then the number two was the surprise for uh, of Darko. And then like we talked about Carmelo came next for the Nuggets and then Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade were drafted right after him. So that was like an incredible draft. So yeah. it sounds like people were surprised that didn't think that they were going to be uh, getting Carmelo. How quickly did people, um, you know, pile on the expectations for him when it was, you know, when he was chosen? Um, again, it, you know, there wasn't as much communications uh, visible, just, you know, occasionally on sports talk radio or, or the sports writer's opinion. But certainly all of those kinds of people uh, had high expectations uh, because of, of, you know, his, his background, you know, as a lot of these guys played all the elite 
uh, youth leagues and stuff. And uh, even his one year at, at Syracuse, he was a real star. So, so how did do you recall like how he grew as a player, like what he was like when he first got there, and then you know how quickly he came into his own, or did it take a while? Uh, it really didn't. I tell you, that is absolutely one of the things I was most impressed about. Uh, with Mello from the get-go. I mean, he was 19 years old uh, in, a, in, a, in a whole different environment. You know, he grew up East Coast kind of, and he's in the you know middle of, of Colorado. And uh, almost every game from the, from the very beginning, I mean, not only did he showcase his, his skills, but after the game, almost every time some of the, the courtside reporter would be shoving a microphone in his face and asking him about the game. And he never failed to have a well-thought-out, insightful comment or two, um, never, never threw another player under the bus. It was always positive and f- focusing on something that they could have done better or that they could improve on next time or I mean, it was just always so positive and and thoughtful right from the get-go. You could tell he had just a, an excellent analytical basketball mind in addition to all the physical skills. So he was with Denver for eight seasons. And during that time, he averaged uh, 24.8 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 3.1 assists. He was a four-time All-Star. So clearly he had a big impact on the team. Who were some of the players that he matched up best with or coaches that he matched up best with over the years? He, he, his game did did elevate when once we were, uh, got Chauncey Billups. I mean, having Chauncey Billups as a facilitator certainly helped improve, you know, the whole team and and Mello's game. Um, I also liked how he worked with uh, Kenyon Martin. You know, when he had Kmart there in the middle as an enforcer, <laughs> it uh, I think it it helped his game. Um, I think who else that he played with? I mean, those two are the ones that come to mind that I felt as as teammates that that really helped him helped his game improve as well as uh, made the team better. Thinking back to what type of game Carmelo played, did he pretty much always play that same ISO game? Did he have like things that he added over the years that he was with Denver that you can remember? Well, I, I don't really remember him being as much such an ISO player. I mean, I, I, I thought he was always, my impression of him was that he was always a really good team player and contributed in, in, in lots of different ways. And I, I always hated the rap on him that he never played defense. I've seen him play defense and he does it very, very well. But yeah, it was primarily George Carl. I think uh, he 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 blossomed. I thought under George Carl, as did all of the all of the players. I mean, George seemed to have a way of of um, getting the best out of all of them. So I think I think that helped him as well. What what was your favorite memory of Carmelo on the court? Oh, I, I yeah, I don't. The, actually, the, the the thing that comes to mind is off the court when he lost a video game and had to cut his hair. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that story. I don't know that one. Well, he was he was playing. You know, whatever the the video games are that the players play in their downtime all the time, and he had. Well, I can't remember who it was he was playing against, but somebody that was a good friend of his, and they just ended up with this bet. He just was so confident that he wouldn't lose that if if he uh, lost that he would cut his hair because you know he at those times he, he had he always had the uh, the the braids you know the tight uh braids but but uh, yeah so he lost and so he did they took the braids out and they had a picture of him with this huge afro it looked like uh, 
you know, a Colin Kaepernick type huge afro when he's brushed his hair out. And that's when he cut it all off and he's had it really, really short ever since. <laughs> well, so so what happened with Mello at the, as his time came to a close in Denver? Well, you know, honestly, my impression is that, as I said, he the team went to the playoffs every year that he was here. And I think on the one hand, there was a lot of a lot of pressure saying that he wasn't doing enough. So that's they didn't you know, they did get to, to the uh, the finals a, a time or two or once, I think in the Western conference finals. And, you know, they got out of the first round, um, but they also got beat in the first round in, in most of them. So uh, there was a lot of the blame placed on him for that. And I think he felt that pressure. Um, but, but I think there was also, like I said, there was a couple of players I felt that were really positive contributing to him and to the team and being better. But I felt that they, they just didn't do enough to get him the big man help, especially uh, that, that they needed uh, to, to the last piece to really, you know, get to the finals and maybe even get to the NBA finals. So I think he was feeling that pressure that he had done everything he could do in, in what, eight or nine years and, and that, that the management wasn't doing enough. So how do you think he will fit in with a new team where there's already two superstars on it? So it sounds like, you know, in, in Denver, maybe he wasn't surrounded by the right talent. Do you think that in the future, you know, two superstars might meld well with him? Do you think he'll be able to share? Well, you know, it's really hard to say, Tara, but to, to, to be perfectly honest, I will jump into my own spiel again. The teams need to be able to use sports psychology professionals. There are assessments out there that can assess ahead of time what kind of personalities work well together, what kind of coaching personalities or learning personalities. So, I mean, I don't have the information uh, about the personalities that are in Houston. You can see, you know, like we can see a lot, you know, the way they act and play the game. Uh, you can make assumptions about what kind of personalities or your learning skills or, where, or teaching skills or whatever they have. But I, I think that, that teams need to start getting on board and doing these assessments before they make decisions about drafting specific players or hiring specific coaches or bringing another uh, player into the mix. Myself, personally, I, I will be shocked if it works down there in Houston, if the team gets better and he sticks around. So you're saying that like in, in addition to the anal like they do all this, you know, analytical evaluation of like how people play together, but by also, you know, focusing on their personality traits and things about ways that people work better, yeah. that could be, that could be the key to the success. It's not necessarily, you know, if their stats line up in the sheet and fill it out appropriately, it's how well they fit together. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the analytics, I mean, are wonderful. They spend a lot of time and a lot of, you know, computer cycles on that. But, but the reality of it is the analytics are based on whatever they've done before. And, mm -hmm. and it is, as, as, you know, and they do these, when th these particular lineups or this particular play ends up scoring X percent of the time, whatever, whatever. But to be able to use the, the personality side of stuff in the, or the, the, the person's mental approach to things and, and, and those types of assessments to look forward ahead of time to predict that they're going to work or not, I think would is a, uh, 
is a piece that's missing. Yeah. I, I like that phrase mental approach because it, uh, it, it captures, it seems to capture a lot about a player without, you know, going deep into their like psychological background. It's just like, how do they mentally approach the yeah. game and does it meld with the other people that they are around? Yeah. Or, and or, yeah. Or, yeah. Are, are they all on the same wavelength? And I mean, you get so tired of hearing that, they fail in a, in a crucial game or under pressure because they, you know, they just, their heads just weren't in it, you know? So um, w- one last question, when Mello, when Mello left, was it kind of a situation where people in Denver understood why he wanted to leave um, or were they taken by surprise? And, you know, what was that like? Um, I think honestly, the general consensus, uh, people were very unhappy. They thought that, he was just uh, doing it for himself, that he wanted the lights and the action of the big city and go to New York and, and you know, get out of the flyover country. And, yeah, I think a, a lot of folks uh, uh, had that negative impression. That along with the fact that uh, or with the belief that he was just doing it because under pressure from Lala, that she wanted to further her career by being in either New York City or L.A. and you know, Denver just didn't do it for her and that she was pressuring him into taking an offer in New York. Interesting. So it was a family. It was a, uh, some people were, it sounded like it might be a family move um, or yeah, uh, yeah, just, yeah, just her. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about uh, Mello's time in Denver and what it was like when young in his career, it's just astounding to me that it was 15 years I know. ago. <laughs> like yeah. it's just time goes by so quickly and thinking about how much the the league has changed yeah. and it's going to be really fascinating to see if he's able to you know fit in with this this new modern offense and you know considering he's someone who's been around for a really long time. Yeah I, I expect he will that if he if he ends up you know just being uh, uh, you know a bench bench rider and uh, coming in and a cook you know, occasion here and there. I, I don't think he'll be happy staying there for very long. But I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't add that that myself and and a lot of people in Denver really do appreciate him. And I think some of it is just uh, in retrospect. You know, now that you know, like like a lot of relationships, uh, it seems much better now that you're gone. You know, <laughs> no, I wish I had you back. Right. You know, so it's the old, uh, all good things much must end, you know, like you just had to, had to, um, had to see it through to its conclusion. And now by looking back with clear eyes, you can go, oh, you know what, there were some, <laughs> there were some good things that worked and maybe we just, maybe we could make it work out again. Yeah, there, there was talk about whether or not they could lure him back here instead of going to Houston. There's been talk around here. So, Well, Sue, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, would you like to uh, share a, like a social media channel that people can find uh, you uh, my Twitter handle is at superfan, S-U-E-P-E-R-F-A-N. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate All it. All right. Thank you. All righty. Next, we are going to hear from Chena Parmalee. Chena, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really glad to talk to you today, find out more about Mello's time with the Knicks. Can you start off briefly and describe your connection with the Knicks? <laughs> um, sure. Uh, I, uh, 
I'm I'm just a fan, basically. I've been a fan at this point for a very long time, although it didn't really start till the end of college, I guess. But that was back in the 90s, so there we go. Um, so yeah, so I you know I, I actually got to be around for the uh, well, they weren't the championship seasons, but they were going to the championship seasons, <laughs> and for us that counts, okay? Um, so I'm I'm a fan, and um, I, I I write for Posting and Toasting, which is the Knicks SB Nation blog. I'm on the social media beat, which uh, means that I don't have to analyze anything; I just have to post pictures. So that's perfect for me. Uh, if you want to know. If you want to know which Nick's own dogs, I'm the person to ask. Oh, awesome. Well, I want to know some things about Carmelo Anthony. So I'm just going to jump right in. This is my, right. uh, my I'm playing detective here to trying to find out uh, what it was like for him and his various different stops along the way. So on February 22nd, 2011, he was part of a huge three-team deal between Denver, Minnesota, and the Knicks. Uh, it was so complicated, and the paragraph was so long describing it in basketball <laughs> reference that I didn't even try to, you know, untangle the whole thing. But anyway, Carmelo Anthony ended up uh, with the Knicks in 2011. What was the reaction when he was traded to the Knicks? And, like, were there any rumors leading up to it, or were people surprised? Uh-huh. What was that like? Well, we well, it was it was a very strange situation because we knew for a while that Mello wanted to come to the Knicks. I mean, I think he flat out said it. And, you know, Dolan wanted him to come. um, James Dolan, our owner. um, And it was a thing where I think there was a lot of enthusiasm to have him come to the Knicks. I mean, he's a fantastic player. He was the prime of his career at that point. Um, But the issue was, uh, well, twofold. One was that just before that happened, we had gotten Amari Stoudemire over the off season, and that was his famous, you know, the Knicks are relevant again thing. Because um, the Knicks might not be very good now, but they were very bad before this. <laughs> so, yeah, so we were in a, like a, a swamp of terribleness for a very long time. So Amari came, and there was a period when they finally started sort of getting things working together where they were actually finally playing really fun basketball. They were playing well. They were sort of winning, not all the time, but like more than half the time. And it was it was really great. I mean, people felt great about the team. Um, there were players that we love, like Gallinari. And you know, and so what happened was, you know, Mello was going to be a free agent that summer, right? I, I think this is what happened. I'm not always great on the contract thing. But, uh, but Dolan just wanted him and so instead of waiting till the summer when they could have gotten him for a lot of money which is the one thing that we have plenty of uh they just traded away half of the team and so that was weird um nobody really felt good about trading so much the team away there was a lot of good young talent that people were attached to um and it just it just felt strange you know but you know but in exchange we got Carmelo Anthony so it was just kind of a weird position I feel like to put him in to begin with where you're starting out at this kind of slightly off balance place where on the one hand everybody was thrilled to get him he's a generational talent on the other hand people were like we didn't really want to do it that way so there was always a little bit of ambivalence around his arrival oh interesting well so 
after a little more than a season in 2012, the coach actually resigned and kind of <laughs> popular opinion was that it was because of uh, Carmelo. So what can you say about how the situation played out in New York? Oh, Mike D'Antoni, the once and future coach, right? This yeah. Is gonna be interesting what goes on here. Um, well, I, I think Mello has a little bit of a reputation as a coach killer at this point. I, I don't personally think it's fair necessarily. Um, I should get out of the way that I, I took the pulse of uh, my fellow posters and toasters. And um, most of them seem to have fairly negative opinions about Mello at this point. I don't feel that way. I have positive feelings about him. And part of it is that like my Makeup is such that, like, I, I want to feel positively about the people on my team. So I always think well about them. I would never boo my own team. I usually like these guys. I'd never want to trade anybody, even if they're terrible. So I, 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 I can just don't have it in me to, like, hate them. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he, he does – you know, the, the, well, Antoni ha- – Dan- Antoni. Dantoni has a, a specific kind of coaching, right? And and he was very much about quick movement. He wasn't about isolation. He wasn't about the well, it wasn't about the way that Carmelo plays. And Melo, I think it's important to remember, is one of those players that has been spectacular at every step of his career. Um, he was always the guy, you know, at Syracuse, he won. He was the guy. People who've coached him all say he was like, you know, the single best scorer they've ever seen in their lifetime, that kind of thing. So he's the kind of person whose raw talent was spoken of like that. And that obviously is a different thing from what you actually are able to produce with your raw talent. But he's always had that kind of attention. And not every basketball player is like that. Some basketball players, you know, or know they have to work extra hard to be able to make it into the rotation. He's always been the man. And I... He still hasn't come off the bench. That's for uh, sure. He's going to. I don't know. So, So I think that there was just a lot of that kind of clashing. You know, whose team is it? There was a little bit of friction maybe between him and Amare. I mean, they never got to play together like they were supposed to. One was injured, the other wasn't, that kind of thing. So there was just, it never worked out. And then there was the whole Jeremy Lin stuff. I think that played a lot into it because... Uh, Mello was out. Jeremy Lin stepped up. We had Lin Sanity. These were heady days if you are a Knicks fan. Um, but uh, I don't know exactly what happened. There's feelings that uh, a lot of why Lin left was because Mello didn't like sharing the spotlight with him. I have a hard time kind of believing that just because, I mean, this dude's making like, you know, a million dollars to your 18 million. He's not going to be the superstar you are, but whatever. Uh, so he, you know, and, and, and D'Antoni, um, was, was riding, <laughs> was riding Lynn like secretariat famously. So maybe that caused some friction. Um, so there was a lot of just issues around that. And so, yeah, at the end, D'Antoni was gone and Mello stuck around. And, and you have to realize also that, uh, James Dolan is an owner who meddles at all the wrong times. Um, and he's very loyal to certain people and those people tend to be superstars. So if you are like a superstar player who he's paid a lot for kind of thing, he will often let you have more leeway, I think, than you would otherwise. So Melo did probably get to run the team 
in a way that like similar a little bit to how like LeBron got to kind of run the team a little bit and like make more personnel decisions maybe than he or have more input than maybe he should have. And I think that's something that did happen to a certain degree in New York. Uh, what do you think? I'm curious. How do you think the uh, reunion is going to go in Houston? I mean, do you think Dan Tony has you know, change the way he coaches or that Mello has, will be able to adapt. I mean, just kind of what's your gut reaction? Like when you first realized that they were going to be reunited, what did you say? <laughs> I actually think it's going to go. Okay. I, th- I, I think that they're both professionals and um, I think that Mello is a little bit older and a little bit more mellow, if you will, and probably sees his chance at getting a ring kind of slimming down and, uh, and, and is probably willing to be a little bit more flexible. I think D'Antoni has realized that he also has a slightly, you know, I mean, he, this isn't this isn't his old team. This is a new team. And he has gotten more flexible with how he can play players. Um, but, you know, Melo's a player who needs the ball in his hands. He's a scorer. He's not anything else. So how that's going to work, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how, how he works into um, – you know, alongside of Paul and Harden, or if he is going to come off the bench and only play alongside one of them at a time, that'll be very interesting to see. So, uh, Melo was in New York for seven whole seasons. Like for some reason, I didn't think he was there that long, but he was there for seven seasons, 412 games. He averaged 24.7 points, seven rebounds and 3.2 assists. He had six all-star appearances while he was um, a Nick. What was the best thing about Melo in New York? On court? Anyway, any way you want to put it. <laughs> I mean, okay, for me, uh, well, okay. What One thing basketball-wise is that whatever you say about his defense, whatever you say about them being a ball hog, whatever, he can occasionally bring moments of, like, transcendent basketball and scoring and just go off in a way that's beautiful. He's a much larger man than sometimes you think. So he can really like, he gets his own rebounds. He bullies around down there and he's, he can be wonderful to watch. So that's fun. You know, he scored the 62 points. That's great stuff. Um, For me, I think the best thing about Mello is that he has this need to be this very uh like like he he wants to be the digital athlete right he's trying to be this sort of digital entrepreneur bringing athletes into the next thing he has all these different investments and that kind of stuff and he's one of you know you you imagine he's one of the first people who hashtagged himself right but um he, he but he can't get away from the fact he's also a pretty funny outspoken guy so watching the tension between the very controlled Carmelo Anthony versus the Carmelo Anthony that would like bust out once in a while, like the West Baltimore Carmelo Anthony. That was what was always really fun for me. His wife was wonderful, uh, is wonderful, Lala Anthony. Um, so they caused a lot of um, enjoyment between them. Um, there's the, we were talking about this previously, the, the famous time that she uh, taped him walking to the corner bodega in his bathrobe. Going to buy a beer just in his bathrobe and some slides. And so Lala's following around going, he's so aggressive right now. So I really enjoy that kind of stuff because I feel like he's one of the athletes that's incredibly tightly controlled otherwise. Um, And because New York is such a huge media market and because they get an amount of scrutiny that like other athletes in other cities just don't get, I think, he really 
he rarely let that slip, but when he did, it was always really fun. And he was just an easy guy to root for. You know, he did a lot of charity work in Puerto Rico, and I, I enjoyed that kind of interaction that he had. Um, yeah, see, that's the part of the tension about me not under understanding about Mello, because over here, way over here in the outpost on on the west, there's the you know, you see him put up all of these numbers, but then you see him leave teams on not necessarily great terms, whether or not it's, you know, with the fans or with the franchise, like, you know, it usually ends up with him wanting out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think that in a certain sense, you could say he underachieved. I think that the reason why a lot of fans have bad memories about him is because of that, you know, um, for me personally, uh, being a Nick fan is not about winning. If it was, I couldn't be a fan. Uh, it's, it's really it's about the journey because <laughs> if it was about the destination, we would have stopped a very long time ago. I think there's um, a lot of franchises <laughs> bases who can who can relate. <laughs> exactly, you have to take the joy where you find it. Um, so I can't be mad at Mello because he didn't bring a championship. Like that's crazy. Nobody's brought a goddamn championship, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So what happened in the end when what happened he, in the end? When he you, left? Well, the, the problem is that. Um, I mean, God knows I love them, but the Knicks sucked, right? And so they went through a period of sucking really badly again. And Carmelo is, what, 33 now? And um, his time's ending, and he knew his time was ending. We drafted KP. That was great, but we're still losing gobs of games. Um, Didn't have a very good team. Didn't have a very good team around anybody. And so we were losing. And um, it wasn't right I mean, this is my interpretation. It wasn't right for Carmelo, who was still somebody who could score 30 points in a game if given the opportunity. And it wasn't right for the Knicks because they're a team that needed to be tanking and getting good draft picks for the future and not just, you know, playing around their aging superstar. But the Knicks are not good at thinking like that. I don't think Carmelo's good at thinking like that. Um, It just, it didn't work out. So it became pretty obvious that there was no way the Knicks were going to do any kind of substantial winning in the next few years. I mean, not even substantial winning, like winning at all, which is ridiculous, but was like, like making it to the playoffs even. So, you know, we, we missed a couple of years, of the playoffs, and those are the first years he ever missed the playoffs. And I think that really wore on him and he became pretty disillusioned with the team. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do at that point? You're paying the dude a lot of money um, and he's not happy. And uh, what you need to do at this point is lose. And he's not going to help you lose like you need to, but he's also not going to help you win like you want to. So I think it just reached a point where it made no sense to resign him. Um, I don't personally feel like there was a lot of animosity around that. I think everybody understood that's what needed to happen. But that doesn't mean that there aren't Knicks fans who still feel like he took a lot more than he ever gave. I'm not one of them. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today to tell me uh, a little bit more about Melo. I particularly liked how you described the um, watching him play and, you know, helping me understand, like, you know, sometimes you just watch someone who, like you said, is transcendent. It helps to understand um, when, you know, when all we hear are things about him wanting out, him demanding this, you know, like, where no, he's he- a great player. I hope he still has it in him. I really do. He, he- If he can still play sometimes the way he has been able to play, then I think he can really contribute to the Rockets. I hope. I I always wish him well. But I'm a softie, so there you go. (laughs) Well, can you uh, tell people – do you have a social media channel that you'd like to share? I 
do. Um, well, I'm on um, Posting and Toasting, and I am on the Twitter box. Uh, at, I've heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> at Chiniqua, which is C-H-I-N-I-Q-U-A. And um, I'm going to have to start tweeting about uh, basketball more soon. Mostly I've been watching baseball recently, but it's, it's season starting up soon. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Thanks I really appreciate me. it. It was really fun. Now it is time to talk to someone in Oklahoma City about Mello's time with the Thunder. And for that, I've got Andrea Medley on the line. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure to be here. So first, can you talk real briefly about how you became a fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder? Well, I am originally from Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, So was raised in Oklahoma and growing up, I played basketball most of my life and we didn't have a professional sports team. So when Oklahoma city got the thunder, I was an automatic fan, regardless of how good they were, how bad they were their home, their home team. So that's always my team. I always support them. So here's where we are in this story. (laughs) Mello is at the Knicks, but then on September 25th, 2017, he was traded by the Knicks to Oklahoma city thunder for Ennis Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a 2018 second round draft pick. So my first question is, were you surprised when he came to OKC and what was the initial reaction among the fan base when they heard? So very much surprised. Um, I just didn't see um, Melo coming to OKC. Um, I think the Thunder has a lot of potential as a team. I think it's a great place to live. I just did not see um, Melo coming there. And I think because Oklahoma City is such a great place to play, the thun- the fans and the Thunder fans are amazing. Um, they support you 100%. So um, I think even being surprised that Melo came, people embraced him right away. I remember when um, he and his family first showed up and, you know, um, the Thunder fans are usually at the airport to greet the players no matter what time or day they come. And there was a great number of players, out, of fans out there to um, to greet Mello when he came. So I think that when people came, there were some great expectations that we already have Russ, who is the staple. He is he is the Oklahoma City Thunder. We had um, just recently gotten Paul George. And so when you added Carmelo Anthony, it was like, okay, this is another NBA All-Star, future Hall of Famer that we have on the squad. Like, this is going to be good for us. Yeah, expectations must have been running really high. I remember talking around the league of, uh oh, we really are going to need to watch out for Oklahoma City with their their big their new big three. Did you all call him the big three, or did you have a a special name for, for him when he got there? Him, I think we called him the big four because you can't leave out Stephen Adams. So. We had the big four. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I, Steven Adams is one of my favorite players. I absolutely Yeah, he's a love, beast. He's a monster in the middle. And he's him. so strong. He's so strong. But yeah, he's he's crazy in the middle. <laughs> we'll have a whole, whole other podcast talking about him. But okay. <laughs> to get back to Mello. So he played 78 games in Oklahoma City. He averaged 16.2 points a game, 5.8 rebounds, and 1.3 assists. His points scored were significantly below his career average and what he had been playing, you know, how he had been playing before in with the Knicks. 
how did he perform compared to the expectations of the fans? So like, how did, how did that go? So I think, um, I think number one, anybody who saw him play in New York knew that Carmelo wasn't the same Carmelo he'd been when he first came in the league. So I think that there were expectations, but they weren't extremely high, but I think even with those expectations, like it just fell short. And I don't know if it was just, well, I believe that he just wasn't a good fit for the team. I I think that, um, you know, another player could have come in and done a really, really good job. I just think that uh, Carmelo wasn't a good fit. He was used to playing a small forward. We tried to play him as the power forward. It just didn't, it just didn't click. It just, it just didn't click. Um, Mello is not known for um, his defense. (laughs) He's more of an offensive player. And I think what Oklahoma City really needed was defense. And um, I just think he wasn't a good fit. What were people's reactions to when he said that he wasn't going to come off the bench? I think people from from the talk that I, I, you know, I, I talk to people in Oklahoma City all the time, even though I don't live there currently. I think the thought was that that was selfish um, and it was more about his ego and more about him and not about what was best for the team, because the reality was um, he wasn't playing like a starter. He didn't deserve to come. He didn't deserve to start. He needed to come off the bench. And ironically, it looks like he may come off the bench in Houston now. At some point, he's going to have to do that, I would think. I mean, I guess you could play your entire career and go out on a high note and never come off of the bench. But it just seems like at some point you have to realize, you know, about what's going on around you. Right. If he didn't want to come off the bench, like then he should be okay with starting and then coming out fairly quickly. And basically he would only start for you know, namesake to say he started and then he, they would bring him out and bring in the person who probably really should be starting. What are you going to remember most about uh, Mello and his time with the Thunder? Um, I think that he had a good attitude. I respect the fact that I, you know, he never talked bad about the organization. He didn't. Um, I'm, I'm a real protective person of Russell Westbrook. And I feel like a lot of people talk about how Um, you know, stars can't play with Russell Westbrook. I never heard him say anything bad about Russ. You know, he came in, he tried to make it work. I give him credit for coming in and, and doing what he could do. It just wasn't a good fit. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And this just didn't work. Um, I, but I never heard him say anything negative about the organization, even, um, after he left. And so, you know, you got to respect him for that. This is a business. And I know, you know, a lot of times as fans, we get upset when players want to leave and players want to move around. But at the end of the day, it's a business and people have to do what's best for them. And I I, I feel like Melo leaving OKC was probably what was best for him. Are you uh, how are you looking forward to to next year? Do you feel like, you know, it was a it was a it was a year that happened. You gave it a try. Time to move on. Are, are there any regrets about the time that Melo the year of Melo? No, I, I don't. Not for me. I don't think there's any regrets. I, you know, they tried it. Honestly, I feel like um, if Andre Robertson wouldn't have gone down and gotten hurt, the year would have been totally different for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And even I think, you know, uh, Melo probably would have been a little bit better fit had he had we had Andre Robertson. I feel like 
Carmelo was a little bit more exposed with his lack of defense because the person who typically plays defense really tough for OKC um, was not there. And so it was like, okay, the rest of you have to pick up the slack. But Melo's not a defensive player. So um, I feel like he wasn't able, you know, he wasn't able to do that. Melo needs to be in a system where, you know, he's able to come down. He can play some ISO. He can do some one-on-one. Um, he can hit the shot, you know, in the corner. That's what Melo, that's what Melo's good at. That's where he thrives. He just didn't thrive in this Oklahoma City system. It just didn't work for him. That's about all the questions that I have for you about Mello's time in New, in uh, OKC. I guess it was short and sweet. Um, before we say goodbye, do you have any social media channels that you'd like to share? I do. Um, on Facebook, it's Andrea Medley. And um, on Twitter, I'm actually looking up my Twitter right now. <laughs> it's um, at Lawyer Dove, L-A-W-Y-E-R-D-O-V-E. And that's that's about it. I think I just have... I usually I'm usually on Facebook. <laughs> well, we will uh, catch you on NBA Twitter when the when the season starts. And also, thank you one more time for being here tonight. <laughs> oh, People didn't see, see the behind behind the scenes effort that we went to to make this connection <laughs> tonight. It's but good. We it's did good. It. I'm glad we did. We, we persisted. Were, we were tenacious. <laughs> we were tenacious. We kept going. And we got it done. So right on. Well, thank you so much for joining. To talk about the next chapter in Mello's career, I am joined by Annie Quo. Annie was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and although she's lived on the West Coast for two decades, she is still an avid fan of the Rockets. Can't wait to hear how Annie feels about their newest player. Annie, welcome to the show. Howdy from Seattle. really glad to have you here today so here is where we are now we've talked a lot about the past mellow and we're now i'm going to bring us up to today so on july 25th as part of a three-team trade with atlanta and the 76ers mellow was traded by okc and ended up with the atlanta hawks Shortly after that, on July 30th, he was waived by the Atlanta Hawks. They paid more than $25 million to have him go somewhere else. And then a couple weeks later, August 13th, he signed as a free agent with the Houston Rockets for the veterans minimum $2.4 million. So my first question for you Y'all got Mello for basically nothing. <laughs> He's a 10-time All-Star. According to Basketball Reference, he has a 98.2% chance of getting into the Hall of Fame. And y'all got him for $2.4 million. So how are you feeling about the Rockets' front office right now? In Daryl, we trust. That's what we say. Although I won't lie, for a lot of the um, offseason early on, I was like, what are the Rockets doing right now? was waiting for them to sign LeBron, waiting for, you know, I mean, I even had like a little stake in the game for Kevin Love, although that was not very reasonable. But it's like, what what's going on? But we trust Daryl Morey to do the right thing. And we're hopeful that he made some really strong calculations in the offseason to acquire a strong team for us to be another contender this season uh, for the Warriors, 
And so um, I'm excited. I think we got, I'm always a bargain hunter and I, we obviously got a steal here with mellow with Olympian mellow. And I hope that we get Olympic mellow. Or, 2.4. <laughs> or hoodie mellow or one or of several mellow. other variations that are available. <laughs> yeah. Or, or nuggets mellow. <laughs> yeah. Want that one. <laughs> well, Let's bring it's, it back. it's a, it's rare to talk, to find a team that is, you know, a serious contender to play against the warriors. There are so few who are ready right now to maybe challenge them. So last year, your team came real close. You, you know, made it to, to the finals. Um, and then like you were saying earlier in the summer, it was like Trevor, Ari- you know, you lost some players, Trevor Ariza and Luke Richard Mumbamute. Those were like some pretty significant losses, but, but here comes Mello and the question that everybody's talking about is how in the world is this going to work? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you hearing or what do you think about how Melo is going to work on this team? Yeah. So you're, you're right. You know, this is a lot of chatter in uh, Rockets territory and, and Red Nation over here. Um, now that we've got him, you know, people are talking about how we can use him. And you've probably heard the the bench talk, you know, that he would be strongest coming off um coming off the bench uh I don't know what his feelings are on the subject I think I've heard him I can't I mix it up though sometimes about whether he's talking about um yeah for the most part he's been pretty clear that he was not gonna come off the bench yeah yeah he he sounds like he he thinks he's still all that and I think that he could still be all that because he's got a new system he's in a new system now different environment, different, um, call, you know, teammates and leadership to support him. D'Antoni is something to watch, you know, with, with their history. But, um, I read something from USA today when D'Antoni was talking about how Mello is a better fit for the Rockets than, than the Knicks was. And, um, and I, I think that given their history of working together, even though it soured at the end, was that like 20 in 2012 when D'Antoni oh, walked away? Yeah. When- when yeah when dan tony left yeah yeah just the fact that he's he's welcoming him back and they they know his strengths and weaknesses i feel i feel positive about it but what i'm hearing in red nation you know people are you want to hear the detractors first or give it to (laughs) me whichever way you want bad news yeah (laughs) okay so the bad the bad news people are saying you know that um that he is weak on defense, obviously. Um, that that he uh, he's getting older. Can he still play? If so, for how much longer? Is he willing to be a team player? And you know, can he play in the system? Um, you know, the the people are really hating on him. And by the way, I feel bad for the guy. He's really gotten a lot of grief on social media. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw recently that he's he actually had some free time over the weekend and he was writing back to people on Instagram. Oh and, and... boy. That's always. A <laughs> <career>. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like F you, you know? So are you F- saying people in Houston are, there are people in Houston who are his detractors who are like, this isn't going to work. What's he doing coming here? Yeah. I think those are the bandwagon fans, you know, who are not going to root. I mean, they're, they're, they're hopeful for, you know, a championship for the city just as I was, but you know, they're, they're kind of negative on it, on this. And um, yeah, there's, there's some people who are just spewing a lot of meanness and 
hate toward him. But anyway, he got a he got a taste of that over the weekend. And um, I feel bad for the guy. But I think that, okay, obviously, I have a positive more positive spin on this than than these folks. But you know, they'll say like, okay, I can tell you what my brother in law said. He said uh, his prime, Melo's prime was winning the national title at Syracuse. And this guy is like a one-dimensional player who's who hasn't evolved with the league and that we took a, a step back from dethroning the Warriors by acquiring Melo. Um, so that's like a taste of, of, you know, what people are saying. Um, they just say that he's kind of on the decline and, and – Considering how we how Mello played with OKC last year, a lot of people are saying that we got the short end of the stick, um, even though it was obviously for a steal. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to you know not like take a chance on it, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I see this as a one year experiment, just like OKC did. It didn't work out for them, but I'm hopeful that it'll work for us. And um, you know, it's like. It's one year, so all the detractors, I'm like, come on, relax, drama queens. You know, let's see how this plays out. It actually could play out really well and could be part of our franchise for a while longer. Yeah, and so what do you see as the, the best-case scenario for how he fits in and, like, how he uh, meshes with Chris Paul and James Harden? Yeah, I, I hope that we do see him um, – come back with a vengeance you know now he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder he's got something to prove to to prove the media and his haters wrong Mm -hmm. um i think he still has a lot of fuel left in his tank and then now that we've plugged him into this this new system um i hope that he'll be you know he'll show his humility he'll be willing to be flexible and step up to play whatever role D'Antoni thinks is best for him and, you know, be willing to be coachable and do whatever it takes to help the Rockets win a championship. It's a short-term investment that could pay off, you know, big dividends in the end. So I think it's worth a gamble. It feels like we're kind of gambling on each other. Right. Well, and it it feels kind of amazing that OKC was able to find Atlanta willing to pay out all the money to him so all y'all had to do was put in 2.4 i just right that just mind i I just kind of realized that that was a situation today and i was just like oh my god like i i I was following the narrative of how is it mellow possibly gonna fit there's not enough ball to go around there you know everybody's gonna want to just hold on to the ball and it's gonna just get stuck and houston's not gonna be able to play like they did before and then I was like, wait yeah. a minute, it doesn't really matter what happens for $2.4 million. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Let's just see how it goes. We're, well, let's just let's roll the dice here and, and, and see how it plays out. But I think that um, he gives, Melo gives the, the, you know, this trio, Harden, CP3, Nara Gordon, a chance for more isolation ball. And it gives them less pressure with the ball, you know. So if we give them less minutes, um, we have a healthy team, a deeper team, then we probably can repeat um, the the Western Conference Finals with Golden State. I have heard things about him being a good locker room guy. So, huh. um, I mean, in terms like in terms That's of encouraging being a pro, um, you know, and being able to show others how it's done. Uh, yeah. So, do you have? Are there some uh, some players on the Rockets who you think? could you know see you could see him as sort of mentoring either in their the way they play basketball or just in general like how to be a basketball player 
Hmm. You know, it's funny. I actually think that maybe Eric Gordon could be a good mentor for Mello. Oh, <laughs> in what way? Well, in terms of just that humility Gordon has with accepting the role of six man, you know, and embracing that role and, and like using it to his advantage. I really like that attitude. And I hope that he spreads that he can spread that, that love around. You know, I, I hope Mello catches that flame because I think honestly that that's where we can best use him. Yeah, the key to the key being just kind of like give up your own personal stake and buy into what the team is, what the team is trying yeah. to achieve. Yeah, because, um, you know, he's Mello's obviously in a different place in his career. And, you know, if it means you got to you, you have less minutes, but that could help your efficiency and defense because like, hey, you're 34 years old. You played 15 seasons. You know, you're not you're not a young wolf like you used to be. You're, you can be stronger if you're fresh. I don't know. I, I, I think that way. Um, the, on the other side, you asked about who he could be a good mentor for. Hmm. I don't know. Can I ask you what you think? <laughs> I'm not as I'm not as familiar with the Rockets young guys, you know, yeah. it's all, it's all Chris Paul, James Harden. I know Clint Capella is young, but he's in such a, plays such a different position that yeah. I don't know that, you know, you know, unless they just in general hit it off, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, how much Mello would have to, uh, to offer to any of those other guys. Yeah. I'm looking at the depth chart and I'm like, hmm, I don't know. I hope he hits it off with Gerald Green, you know, uh, positions aside and everything. I, I don't know. Gerald Green is just such a, to me, an inspirational player, obviously a hometown favorite. And since he's relatively young in, in, the, in, in this league, I think Melo as a veteran could, I don't know. I, I just kind of look at the two of them and I'm like, hmm, there could be some good conversations there, like passing on the baton. Mm-hmm. you know, about all the things that he's learned over, over his career um, to inspire Gerald, who has like a sensational story, I think from, you know, shooting hoops in the, in his driveway in Houston unemployed to coming on to the Rockets. And um, they're, they, they have very different stories, but you know, sometimes opposites attract. Maybe his, maybe, how about this? Maybe his role is to just be like Chris Paul's guy. yeah just like match up with chris paul like mellow and like mellow can go like you know let chris paul be chris paul and kind of shield because from i'm not a houston fan so i don't know what it's like in there but from what i see from the outside it seems like uh you know chris paul's just always like yelling at everybody and like never having any fun and you know yeah maybe mellow could just be like I'll, I'll handle Chris Paul and then you guys do what you need to do. So maybe it's not a mentor is mostly just giving Chris Paul a buddy. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think, I think that those two together, we talked about it earlier, you know, they, they, they obviously show that they, the world, they can have fun together. And I hope that this switch over to the Rockets will help Mello have fun mm-hmm. again. You know, he's he come off a rough season and uh, with OKC and, you know, obviously not a good fit there, but now he's coming on board with his friend CP3 and, and hopefully he can, you know, get the, the love back again for the, you know, for the game. And he has a chance to build back his reputation with the Rockets. I don't know. I, I think that there's an opportunity here for like 
really good juju. I'm hopeful that, you know, everything will fall into place. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think the war- we're looking at the Warriors winning again, the, the whole thing. Um, but I think the Rockets will win a lot of games in the regular season and be a, a, a strong contender in, in the Western Conference. Well, you know? yeah, and I like uh, th- it's a good way to kind of wrap up this whole story because I started off by talking to somebody who was there when he was drafted in Denver back in, you know, 2003 and which is just so long ago, <laughs> like in NBA yeah. years. It's just so yeah. long ago. And I look at, you know, you look at his basketball reference page and it's just like so long and, yeah. um, you know, so much of about what I think of Mello now is just based on the last few years, like, you know, the end of his New York tenure and then going into OKC and then leaving after only a year. And mm-hmm. I forget or wasn't, you know, as familiar with the beginning of his career where he was an amazing shooter. He could shoot anything and people love to watch him. And when he came into the league, he was like, fully ready to go you know he was just like yeah he walked on the this the stage like he'd been there forever you know after coming yeah. up the Syracuse championship you know he just he came and he was ready to play and you know when you're in the league for that long and I guess unless you're Dirk Nowitzki you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, there's chances that you might you know be a bad fit on a team or not have a great fit with a coach or just might not be the right person at the right time for the team and like you were yeah. saying like maybe this is just a chance for him to come and establish himself again possibly work himself over as someone new off of the bench and just, mm-hmm. you know, be there to, you know, take a team really far, farther than he's yeah. been in a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe reestablish himself or at mm-hmm. least, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, st- uh, stamp out an identity for himself at the end of his career. That's more in line with kind of how he was thought of at the beginning of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, you know, goes through different cycles and seasons professionally personally so I feel like I hope this is part of his comeuppance not only to prove to himself and but to everybody else that you know Olympic mellow can still come back to life and he can end his career you know eventually on on a on a strong note yeah yeah well this seems like a really great place to end it on a high note I always like to end on a high note so before we go do you uh, have any social media that you want to share with people sure yeah I'm at, at Annie traditional spelling like the orphan A-N-N-I-E quo K-U-O like status quo with a K um, so people are welcome I do a lot of like retweeting Bleacher Report and mostly a lot of Rocket fandom on there so I invite the Rocket fans to join me <laughs> from Red Nation awesome well thank you so much for talking with me tonight Annie I really appreciate it and we should we should uh, touch base sometime in the middle of the season and find out how things are going absolutely thanks for having me tonight it was fun Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Women's Hoops and Talks. Hope y'all learned something about Mellow. I know I did. I want to thank all of my guests for coming on. That would be Sue and Chaniqua and Andrea and Annie. Thank you all for your time. I will add their social media handles in the liner notes so that you can talk to them over Twitter if you would like to. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Blazer's Edge podcast and you will get the What podcast in that very feed twice a month. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, please feel free to tweet at us at Hoops and Talks. You can also get a hold of me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. And my co-host Kendall is at Kendall Bennett 16. Or you can even send us an email at hoopsandtalks at gmail.com. So thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.